Hi, I'm Eden. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to Roadside, Roadside Horror, Horror Show. We are in Florida again this week. Mm-hmm. Sunshine State. Uh, I have some fun, weird, questionable laws. Well, that's good. Is there a law against your cat uh, climbing on your lap while you're trying to do an intro and freaking you out a little bit? No, surprisingly. Okay, because there should be, because that just happened. <laughs> so, a um, couple of things here or there. Uh, most of these are like state laws, but some are like specific to certain areas in Florida. So, okay. I'll start with the state laws that I know are statewide, because they're hilarious. One, it's illegal to skateboard without a license. You need a fucking license to skateboard? How do you get a license? How do you get... Yeah. Like, do you have to show up and, and, and like show people, look, I can ollie. Do you go to like the DMV and take like a <laughs> test of some sort? It's like, here, okay, grind this rail mm-hmm. and then do other stuff I learned from the Tony Hawk video do games. A, do an ollie. Now Now I want you to do... do, do, do okay, okay, great, great, great. I'm like, ugh. Can you melon? Can you uh, <laughs> spine transfer? You're going to get a junior license. Once you do that spine transfer, you get your full license. <laughs> you get skateboard past 11. Also, statewide in Florida, women who fall asleep under a hair dryer at a beauty salon can be fined. Really? Mm-hmm. What if a man were to do that? I guess it's okay. Oh, all right. Just women. Just women. I don't see really many men under the blow dryer at salons. Well, there's a couple odd laws pertaining to women in florida another here's another one unmarried women parachuting on sundays could go to jail all right so if you're going parachuting on sundays make sure you're married ladies (laughs) Uh, in the state of florida you must pay for the parking meter if you tie an elephant goat or alligator to it well (laughs) it's florida so i could see someone having an alligator yeah, well, you know, whatevs. Um, there's a couple odd laws in Pensacola. Again, a woman electrocuted in a bathtub using beauty tools can be fined, even though she's dead. Well, are you going to find her family then? Because <laughs> I don't know, her estate, maybe. Like, well, how did that become a law? That's really dumb. Like ladies accidentally dropping their curling iron in bathtubs. We got to make this illegal. Well, first of all, you should not be curling your hair in a freaking bathtub. So maybe that one's on you, but... Exactly. I'm all for multitasking, but you got to choose those tasks carefully. Yes. Also in Pensacola, you can't roll a barrel down the street. And depending on what's in the barrel, you could expect an additional fine. Well, chances are with this podcast, it's going to be a dead body. (laughs) Fair enough. Because it's happened before. This is weird, and my source says that it's probably a law from Miami, but they haven't found the specific source. But men cannot wear a strapless gown in public. Okay, so make sure you have those straps. That makes you want to like, like go to drag shows and be like, excuse me. <laughs> Do you know you're not allowed to wear this? You're not allowed to wear this. You can get a fine. It's illegal in Sarasota, Florida to publicly sing while wearing a swimsuit. All right. (laughs) I've got nothing for that one. Oh, this is bizarre. Uh, So being clothed in liquid latex, like, you know, when people body paint, Mm -hmm. that's illegal in Satellite Beach, Florida. Okay. I mean, I could see that because the first time I actually saw someone just wearing like a latex top, I was like, how is she on TV? She's naked. But it's liquid latex, so that shit's painted on literally. Yeah. Weird. And of course... Well, because... no, that's what I was saying. It was like the paint on Oh, stuff. gotcha. Yeah. So it's like one the wrong move, The first time I girl. saw it was on a, um, a game show called Street Smarts. Do you remember that? I don't. It was like 
they interviewed people on the street that were kind of stupid. <laughs> and you have to like guess if they got it like right or wrong or like, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, it was it was a very strange show, but it was it was a lot of fun. OK, fair enough. And of course, I think we should wrap it up with our favorite laws, horse laws. Of course, there's always got to be a law with a horse for some reason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Horses are very important. Uh, apparently, horse theft is still illegal in Florida, of course, and it's also still punishable by hanging. They never updated the penal code on wow. that one. Yeah. All right. So cool. That's wow. Oh, Florida. How very puritanical. I, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they love their horses. I don't. I don't know. So I think we also said that we would continue our Florida, Florida man, yeah, stuff. Florida man saga. Which, by the way, when I was like reading my story sources, I was like, "Oh my god, Florida man to the max!" What's the first one we're gonna do? We are going to do your wife Ashley. So, Florida man sprays women with roach spray, breaks out nunchucks over loud music. Cops say what? <laughs> <laughs> been accused of spraying his neighbors with roach spray and attempting to use nunchucks on them hitting himself in the head instead over a loud music complaint (laughs) you know what i laugh but that's a very easy thing to do to accidentally bean yourself with nunchucks i have practiced ones and it is easy to hit yourself like when you don't know what you're doing at first you Mm -hmm. will hit yourself repeatedly and although they can be an effective weapon they're really more just for show they're a bit more just to be flashy. I suppose, I suppose, yeah. Um, What's okay, next? So I'm going to do our friend Vunda. Okay. Next. Florida man runs over himself outside strip club. And unfortunately, there's no article attached to that one. Or if it is, it's not showing up. I mean, I think that pretty much summarized it for me. Yeah, that was, that was pretty good. It was a good headline. Okay, I have two friends with birthdays on June 19th, so I'm going to do that. Florida man, 72, tries to mow down neighbor with tractor during dispute. Oh, oh, all right. I mean, that could really happen anywhere. That's true. Oh, this guy is like a Santa beard. Um, (laughs) 72-year-old Florida man was arrested last month after he was caught on video chasing down his neighbor on a tractor during a dispute over property, police say. So it's probably (laughs) something like, you know, you're supposed to cut this section of grass. No, you are. You know, fine. I'll fucking cut it. I'll cut you too, bitch. Oh, my God. That's what I'm imagining. Okay, so now we're going to go to my mom's birthday, which is coming up next month. Mm. Florida man, 33, posed as housewife to lure men into home where he'd secretly film sex acts for web, cops say. Wow, there's a lot in that. Uh, Yeah, a Florida man posed as a housewife to trick unsuspecting straight men into letting him perform sex acts on them while he secretly videotaped the encounters to later post online. That's so shitty. Yeah, whoa. Okay, the website is called Straight Boys with a Z if you want to check it out, I guess. I don't know. It's probably Uh, down now. Pass? (laughs) Okay, let's see what we got next. My dad's birthday is the last one here. Florida man accused of stabbing woman over underdone potato. (laughs) (laughs) This tater's too damn hard. (laughs) Damn it, woman. Um, So police say 36-year-old Florida man is accused of stabbing a woman with a fork over an undercooked potato. Action News Jax reports Kenneth Crumpton was arrested Monday and charged with aggravated battery with a deadly weapon. 
He remained in the Nassau County Jail on a $25,002 bond Tuesday. Why do they have to add the $2? Like, I don't... Poor Kenny Crumpton. It's normally an even freaking number for your bail. (laughs) Taxes. Crumpton told investigators he threw the fork at her and it glanced off her head. That's in quotes. (laughs) It stuck in her head, dude. It glanced. It took a look at it. It's like, oh, look at that. It's your head. Oh, Florida. All right. So, I mean, now we've got glanced off your head, which doesn't make much sense. Mm -mm. And we've also got uh, from last week. Forks don't have eyes. That's true. Forks do not, unless they're forky from Toy Story 4. Forks have eyes. (laughs) Oh, the forks have eyes. Oh, no. (laughs) The forkening. Yeah, I was going to say, because last last week we had, um, what was the word? Um, It wasn't strangulation. Oh, yeah. I can't remember. So much has happened since then. So many words. It wasn't strangulation. It wasn't suffocation. It was a combination of the two. Oh, yeah. No, no. Smotheration. That was Smotheration. Yes. (laughs) It sounds like something you should order at uh, Waffle House. It it pretty much does. Yeah. Smotheration. Oh, Waffle House. Anyway. All right. So, Nicole, you going to hit us with something uh, especially heinous? I wouldn't say especially heinous. I would say OG Florida man, actually. Okay. That works for me. And I have, better. I have a suspicion that it'll tie kind of nicely into your story because I know you've been talking about what you want to do for Florida since we started. That is true. There's no secret this week on what I'm doing. <laughs> so I had to do one of uh, all these book goodies, one of those weird stories I always remembered and being like, where did that take place? It's in Florida. It's in what Florida. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So, our stop today is beautiful Key West, Florida, which is totally one of my bucket list places. Well, then, yeah, this is going to tie in because mine's in Key West, Florida, too. So, located in the Straits of Florida, Key West is a 4.2 square mile island that lies about 95 miles north of Cuba. The city of Key West is composed of the island of Key West, along with Dredger's Key, Fleming Key, Sunset Key, and the northern part of Stock Island. Key West is the southernmost city in the contiguous United States and is the endpoint for Route 1, the longest north-south highway in the United States. All right. Yes, I've been on Route 1. It is very long. Me too. Contiguous is one of those words I'm always like, that can't be right. Oh, it's right. It does sound weird. (laughs) Now, ownership of Key West passed between Spanish and British hands back and forth, back and forth until Spain eventually sold it to the U.S. in 1821. During the Civil War, Key West remained in Union control thanks to the naval forces stationed at Fort Zachary Taylor, which was constructed as part of the third wave of coastal forts prompted by the War of 1812, a.k.a. it's a sister fort to Fort Delaware and Fort Pulaski, two of our previous podcast stops. Oh, yeah. Yep. By 1889, Key West was Florida's wealthiest city with residents who moved there from the U.S., Cuba, and Jamaica. Oh, wow. Okay. It was also... That makes sense for my story, too. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's a very interesting blended culture because of all the people who moved there. It was also a vacation hotspot for several U.S. presidents, including Presidents Grant, Cleveland, Taft, FDR, Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy, and Carter. Harry S. Truman, in particular, really, really enjoyed spending time at Key West. He stayed there at least five times during his presidency, and the place where Truman stayed during his visits has been since dubbed the Winter White House. Okay. I think I've actually heard of that before. Mm-hmm. Aside from presidents, famous authors like Ernest Hemingway and Tennessee Williams also called Key West home during the 1930s and 40s. And um, uh, an artist and an author that I will be talking about later. 
Oh, very artistic, apparently, Key West is. Hell yeah. Now, today, Key West is a laid-back tropical tourist spot that combines southern charm and Caribbean culture. Visitors can enjoy world-class coastal and deep-sea fishing, unique scuba and snorkeling opportunities, sailing, whale-watching, and sunset cruises. Ooh. Now, if you're a history buff like Eden and I, you can tour Dry Tortuga National Park, the Ernest Hemingway House, where you can pet polydactyl cats. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's super cool. They have extra fingers and toes. That they do. There's also the Audubon House and Gardens, which is lovely. And Key West has a distinct and unique historic district. If you're looking for a party, and frankly, I don't know who isn't on vacation, you can head over to Duval Street, explore the shops, restaurants, and bars, including Sloppy Joe's Bar. Not famous for the sandwiches, but famous as one of Hemingway's favorite Key West watering holes. Famous for just being sloppy. (laughs) So it sounds like a pretty awesome place, right? It does would totally go there and i want to go there once i can travel again or in the words of uh, people from 30 rock i want to go to there i want to go to there please and it's on this lovely tropical key in 1933 that a boy met a girl and fell in love well actually a man in his 50s met a girl and fell in love oh how sweet yeah but then the girl died and their love story continued tale is all this time oh this is the story. Gross, thank you. <laughs> this is the story of Carl Tanzler and Maria Elena Milagros de Hoyas. Carl Tanzler was born in Dresden, Germany in 1877. As a child, young Carl was visited by a particular vision. It was a vision of his ancestor, Countess Anna Constina von Consul, a 18th century noblewoman who was the mistress of Augustus the Strong, King of Poland and Elector of Saxony. Oh, okay. The name sounds familiar to me, so I may have read about him in a book somewhere. It's interesting. After they kind of had drifted apart as lovers, he exiled her for various reasons. So. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, that's a whole other story for a different podcast. You know, there are some exes that I would have loved to exile. <laughs> that you would have been wonderful. You can't come back here. This is my country. In his vision, Anna showed Carl the face of his one true love, a, quote, exotic, lovely woman with dark hair, end quote. Now, Carl always treasured this vision, and he carried it with him as he grew up in Imperial Germany. As a young man, he traveled to India and eventually made his way to Australia by 1904. He used several different names during his travels, including George Carl Tanzer, Carl Tanzler von Consul, Carl von Consul, and Count Carl Tanzler von Consul. Well, again with these freaking names. Yeah, he was very fancy. Uh, from my research, I didn't see any indication that he was actually a count. I think he just called him a count because he knew he was related to Countess yeah. Anna. So that's fun. Did I ever tell you about the Cigars International thing when I worked there? Which one? Um, there was this guy who I guess he was from another country. And I mean, he sounded like he spoke perfect american english with an american accent you know Mm -hmm. but he wanted his name to read count (laughs) so-and-so and i was just like whatever my boss was like no we do not have counts here in america he is not a count do not put that on here no and i'm like but what harm is it really doing if it makes him feel special why the fuck not but she was very adamant about it, and I was not allowed to put Count on their form, and he kept yelling at me after that. So I'm pretty sure Count is one of those like nobility period titles that you can pretty much buy. You can. Like, yeah. It's very easy to buy. But anyway, from what I can tell, Tansler didn't buy anything. He just fancied himself a Count as he traveled through India and landed in Australia. 
Now, Tansler, who was interested in engineering and he also loved sailing, was planning a short stop in Australia. He wanted to build a boat, like a sailboat, and then gather enough supplies to let him sail to the South Seas Islands and basically like explore that area and like, you know, build a hut somewhere and live his life. However, while he was in Australia, he found some electrical and engineering work, which he really enjoyed. So he decided to remain there for a while while he built his boat. Fast forward a decade World War I breaks out. Tanzler is rounded up and placed in an internment camp with all the other German and Austrian nationals in Australia, as well as Indian and Chinese officers who were captured as prisoners of war. Oh, wow. Okay. As the war raged on, Tanzler began to plot an escape from the internment camp. He began to construct a sailboat in secret. However, World War I ended before he could execute his plan. This is very true of Tanzler's character. He's very much a do-it-yourself kind of guy, and he's really good at building things in secret, apparently. Now, Tanzler was deported from Australia, and he was taken to Holland as part of a prisoner exchange as opposed to just let go at the end of the war. So they took him back to Europe as part of this prisoner exchange. So by 1920, he's 43, and he's back in Germany again. He is living with his mother, who encourages him to settle down. It's time, Carl. And Tanzler meets and marries Doris Schaefer. By 1924, the couple had two young daughters. Now, finding work was really difficult in the post-war German economy. So Tanzler would be, yeah, yeah, I imagine. It's like terrible inflation. Like we're talking about like Weimar Germany. It's not all cabaret gang. It's a pretty shitty time to try to raise a family. So he decides that he's going to immigrate to America and join his sister, who's already living in Zephyr Hills, Florida. Okay. So calling himself Dr. Carl von Consul, he arrives in 1926 and soon after his wife and two young daughters join him. Yes, this guy. He was a do-it-yourself doctor. Very classic. He taught himself medicine, you know. As one does. In the back of a van? Like, what is... Probably on a sailboat somewhere. I don't know. This is just (laughs) bad. (laughs) So by the time his family joins him, Tansler's kind of over the whole family man thing and is like, yeah, cool. So when a radiology technician job opens up at the U.S. Marine Hospital in Key West, he jumps at the chance. So in 1927, he basically abandons his family and relocates 400 miles south. Okay, sounds good. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like what Carl would do. And it was in the spring of 1930, when Tanzler was 53 years old, he meets a, quote, exotic, lovely woman with dark hair who had been admitted to the tuberculosis ward at the U.S. Marine Hospital. And we all know nothing is sexier than tuberculosis. So pale and tragic. Exactly. Coughing up blood demurely into a hanky. Perfect. To be fair, so many people had tuberculosis because it was so contagious that it actually did influence like 19th century and 18th century fashion. So I'm pretty sure it did. Every single movie in that time period, all you see is someone with tuberculosis. Porcelain skin, the red lips, the the wayfishness. It's like, girl, you you need a sandwich. No, girl, you need a chest x-ray. It's for some reason, it's not like in movies. This is a deadly disease that people can die from. It's always, look at them. They're radiantly beautiful. Yeah. All the best people have lung and bone diseases. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Anyway, so Tanzler is immediately smitten with this 21-year-old Cuban woman. And her name is Maria Elena Milagros de Hoyas. And she grew up in Key West. She was really close to her family, which consisted of 
two two additional sisters, so she was one of three, and her father and mother. Her father was a local cigar maker in Key West who was pretty well known. By most accounts, Elena was viewed as a local beauty in Key West as well, so very, very attractive young woman. In 1926, at age 17, she had actually married a man. His name was Luis Mesa. However, Mesa ends up abandoning her after she miscarries. She ends up kind of suffering a decline in health after that, and it continues to deteriorate until a few years later she's diagnosed with, you guessed it, tuberculosis. Ooh. Now, like we mentioned before, during this time, tuberculosis is still considered a fatal disease. There really aren't any cures back in the 20s and 30s. Uh, Her family starts taking Elena to the U.S. Marine Hospital regularly for treatments and checkups. Now, while Tanzler was quietly yet clearly infatuated with Elena, she didn't really seem to return his feelings or even acknowledge them. Or at least that's what I came to realize from all of my sources. Like, none of them really said she reciprocated his feelings. Her family didn't really say that. It was just kind of this older guy really was into her, kind of admiring. And he seemed very sincere in his affection what happened to the wife tansler's wife yeah oh she was living in zephyr hills with his kids oh okay so i was like wait yeah. isn't he still married yeah but oh he, yeah he's still he married is, he's just being a, a douche okay yeah. he's still married technically elena's still married but she got you know abandoned too so yeah i guess that was a thing back then apparently uh so while elena didn't return his feelings that didn't really seem to matter to tansler now that he had found his long prophesized true love, he would do everything in his power to save her. And I mean everything. I, I'm, I'm really scared of where this is going because I'm pretty sure I know. <laughs> now, using, again, his self-taught medical knowledge, Tansler begins making house calls to Elena, which is completely against hospital policy. He doesn't care because he's in love. Ooh, being in love is important. Mm-hmm. Deeply in love. If only he was in love with his wife. I know. Well, meh. Wives are boring. <laughs> Mysterious tuberculosis infected women are much more appealing. Yes. Especially when they don't love you back. Exactly. Who wants Challenge someone that actually accepted. loves you? <laughs> so Tansler starts concocting these like curative tonics and medicine in his spare time and he brings them to elena he even kind of ingratiates himself to the point with her parents that he convinces them to let him set up like a makeshift x-ray like system in her house and he brings a bunch of electrical equipment as like treatment for her as well and he starts monitoring elena's progress from her house oh okay and now it's interesting because it's like some of the sources were like, oh, yeah, he brought an x-ray machine. Other ones are like, he rigged up this thing that took x-rays. And I'm like, oh. um, and it's Tansler and he's so into DIY, you don't know. Exactly. Yeah, I kind of believe the second one. <laughs> right. As her health worsens, Tansler starts increasing his visits. He's basically seeing Elena every day, bringing her medicine. And he starts bringing her gifts and jewels and just showering her with all kinds of expensive gifts. But by 1931, Elena ends up dying at her parents' home, despite Tansler's best efforts to save her. Heartbroken, he offers to pay for her funeral, as well as a grand mausoleum in Key West Cemetery. Her family is kind of like, well, thank you so much, and gracefully accepts his gift, even though it's a little bit weird. Weird, yeah. But, He's kind of a stranger. Yeah, but he had been like visiting them for almost a year now, and also he was clearly like distraught at Elena's death. Yeah. So they're kind of like, well, if it's going to make, okay, sure. Like that, if it's going gonna, it's gonna to make this guy feel better. So once 
Elena's interred, Tanzler begins to visit the mausoleum every night for hours at a time. He always brings fresh flowers with him. He sits there and he sings songs to her. He's just completely distraught and heartbroken. And this goes on for about two years. Then in 1933, Tanzler abruptly stops visiting the mausoleum and is fired from his job at the U.S. Marine Hospital. While Elena's family considered Tanzler a bit strange to begin with, well, yeah, they weren't particularly concerned about this abrupt end to his visual at Elena's grave. They kind of thought, well, maybe he was getting over it. Yeah. Mm, they probably should have been a little bit more concerned. One night in 1933. Oh God, here we go. When Tanzler had reached his breaking point and could no longer live without his love, he snuck into the cemetery and removed Elena's body from the mausoleum. Ugh. <laughs> it's another grave robbing story. Now he's going to freaking diddle her. Uh, I mean, no spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers, but we all know what's coming, guys. <laughs> Later, Tanzler would say that Elena's spirit would come to him when he would sit by her grave and serenade her corpse with her favorite Spanish songs. He also said that she would often tell him that he needed to take her from her grave and keep her company. God. Once at home, Tanzler said about keeping his love in tip-top shape through his self-taught mortician skills. Because, you know, Tanzler's what super the DIY, fuck? guys. <laughs> it's what you'd expect. Oh my God. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, he, so he uses the things he has on hand. He uses coat hangers and piano wire to keep her corpse's bodies together. He basically ties her bones together. Is she a fucking together. marionette? Well, he takes, he takes like, like her arm bones and joints and replaces them with like wire oh, okay. so that he can still articulate her and it stays together. He ends up um, fitting her face with glass eyes because her eyes have at this point decomposed. As her skin starts to decompose, Tanzler replaces it with silk coated in wax and plaster of Paris and does finer touch-up work with mortician's wax. When her scalp started to decompose and she started to shed her hair, he fashioned a wig from the hair that fell out. Tanzler also filled the corpse's abdomen and chest cavity with rags to keep the original shape of Elena's body. Oh, God. Now, around Key West... Tanzler already had this reputation as a recluse who is mourning his lost love. But now he starts going around town buying really expensive perfumes and jewelry and fashionable women's clothing. The locals all assume that, great. He's a cross-dresser now? No, that he found somebody else. Okay. <laughs> and that he was moving on, getting over this dead girl. In actuality... Tanzler was dressing Elena's corpse in these beautiful clothes and jewelry. He would surround her body with the gifts he bought her, putting it on her bed, which he also slept in. Oh, God. And I'm pretty sure he was cracking open a cold one each night. Maybe. Maybe. He used copious amounts of disinfectant, preservative agents, and perfume to stall and mask the natural process of decomposition. Okay. All that expensive French perfume was just dousing in. My God. Dousing out the smell. So, as Elena continued to rot, Tanzler formulated a new solution to his dilemma. He would build a rocket ship slash airship and blast her into space. Oh, that of way, right? It makes perfect sense. That way, the radiation could restore and preserve her body. Oh my God, this guy. He started to construct the airship in his backyard. I actually found pictures of it online and it almost looks like it's this big, huge, like almost tin or aluminum, like yeah. what you'd expect when someone says airship. And it almost looks like it'd be cool in like a kid's playground until you realize that he was going to put her body in it yeah. and blast it into space. And it's funny because the more you keep telling this story, the more I'm remembering hearing it somewhere too. Mm -hmm. And I'm just mm -hmm. like, no, this can't. Oh, yep. Okay. This wasn't a dream. This really happened. Okay. Yep. So Tanzler's built, spending his days building this airship in his backyard. And 
each night when he's wrapped up work before he goes back in, you know, crack open a cold one and dance and have dinner with Elena. Well, he, I was saying crack open a cold one. Oh, I know what you were saying. a euphemism for. I know what you were saying. Okay, good thing. Uh, of course, he would do the dancing dinner, then the cracking of the cold ones. Anyway, yes. um, I don't really know. I'm just speculating. He would carefully cover up this airship so no one could see what he was up to because, again, he's good at building things in secret, so he thinks. So life continued for Tansler and Elena's body for a blissful seven years. Seven years with a corpse. Seven years with a corpse. In your bed that you snuggle with every night. Oh, great. In October of 1940, one of Elena's sisters heard a really disturbing rumor that the reclusive Tansler lived and slept with a dead body. A neighbor even said that they had seen Tansler dancing in front of the window of his house with what looked like either a mannequin or a ragdoll, maybe <sighs> even a dead body. No. Well, Elena's sister did the sensible thing. She went to Tansler's house to confront him and discovered Elena's preserved corpse. The police quickly took Tansler into custody. Now, a psychiatrist who examined him found that though he was disturbed, Tansler was mentally competent to stand trial. And he was charged with the, quote, wantonly and maliciously destroying of a grave and removing of a body without authorization, end quote. Wait, so how'd they count? Oh, because of the people. Because so the sister basically is like, hey, Mr. Tansler, Count Dr. Tansler. Yeah. I heard it. Is that, is that my sister's body back there? <laughs> and then like, yeah. Mr. Count Doctor. Mr. Count Doctor, sir. Is it, what's that what's smell? That smell? It's a pretty strong spell count. <laughs> Smells like a combination of a cheap French whore and a dead body. Um. Oh. Is that a, is that a rocket ship in your backyard? <laughs> Are you just happy to see me? No. Okay, I'll stop. Um. So, the local authorities and local pathologists collect Elena's corpse, and they examine it. And during this autopsy examination, they discover Tanzler's handiwork, which included a paper tube between her legs that functioned as a makeshift vagina. Now, Tansler didn't admit to any acts of necrophilia. Uh, and given all the media frenzy that this case had already generated, authorities decided to seal the autopsy case notes. After the autopsy, Elena's body went on display at the Dean Lopez Funeral Home in Key West, where as many as 7,000 people stopped in to see Tansler's handiwork. Her remains were eventually returned to Key West Cemetery and placed in a secret unmarked grave to prevent any further tampering. I doubt that someone else would tamper with it, but I guess it's good to be on the safe side. But also, too, it's like it's such a media frenzy that like if she had maybe, a labeled yeah. grave, you know, people would be visiting it and maybe doing some vandalization. Vandal, vandal, vandalism. Vandalism. That's the word. <laughs> Thanks. All right. If this story can get any weirder, it's about to. Okay. There's more. That's, there's more. Oh, I'm. I'm. Yeah. Okay. So the weird thing was most of the public sentiment in Key West was actually kind of sympathetic for Tansler. Locals kind of viewed him as this like eccentric romantic who had committed his crime out of misplaced romantic desperation. Oh. Yeah. I'm sorry. There's limits. There's limits. And also they didn't know about the whole tube. Oh. The the JJ tube. They didn't know about that. And because it had been seven years since the initial grave robbery, which was the only crime they could really charge him with, uh, the statute of limitations had expired and authorities were forced to drop the case against Tansler. So he never served any jail time or was punished for it. Oh, my God. In 1944, he left Key West because, yeah, probably a good move. Yeah. 
And he moved to Pasco County, Florida, which was a lot closer to his remaining family in Zephyr Hills, Florida. Apparently, he lived really close to his formerly estranged wife, Doris. And she even helped take care of him as he aged like in his later years. Well, she's a better woman than. Yeah. Wow. I would not do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. I couldn't find a lot of information about their relationship, actually. Like it wasn't very clear if he had like straight like some some sources said he abandoned her. Other sources said that, you know, he was still sending her and his daughter's money, but it was very hard to like confirm it. So in 1947. Tansler wrote an autobiography called, quote, The Secrets of Elena's Tomb. Oh, no. It was published in the pulp magazine Fantastic Adventures. I actually know that one. Mm-hmm. You can uh, Google, like, Tansler, Fantastic Adventures, Secret of Elena's Tomb, and it'll show you the cover because it was a cover story. Oh, God. And it's, like, the pulpiest thing ever. It's, like, this, like, long hair, dark, long-haired, like, woman, almost looks like, like a, I want to say, not a banshee, but, like, a beautiful corpse rising out this Some white sort of like, like shoe. Yeah. Or, yeah. Oh, think think actually like like Morticia Adams, Lee Monster, but all in white. Okay. And then floating out, reaching for this dude over like a mausoleum. It's so I'm like, this is not not right. No. Not right at all. But kind of amazing at the same time. It's kind of amazing. In his later years, though Tanzler no longer had Elena's body, he still had this death mask that he created for her from her face. Of course he did. Because why not? You always need to spare. He used this death mask to construct an effigy of Elena, and he continued to live with that effigy until his death in 1952 at age 75. Some sources even said that when Tensor died, he wasn't discovered for three weeks. But when they did discover his body, he was supposedly wrapped in the effigy's arms. Oh, okay. True to the end. No. His loving embrace of his prophesized exotic love just no (laughs) so eden any additional thoughts about the tale as old as time oh god um well he definitely was the beast Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i'm sure she was a beauty at one point before she was decomposed Mm -hmm. um but don't dig up someone's body and sleep with it at night. He didn't have to dig it up. He just had. To, he actually had a key to her mausoleum door. Oh, that's right. Because sometimes he would go in and sit with her. Other times he would just sit outside, you know, depending on her mood. My God. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Your face right now is kind of priceless. <laughs> uh, it's just dead bodies. I don't know. I mean, while I don't really mind them because I've seen a bunch before, mm-hmm. Well, most of them have been funeral home stuff. One was an actual one that I didn't want to see. But, um, you know, I still wouldn't want to, you know, just, as the kids say, chillax with one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is interesting, like, in the grand scheme of, like, I don't want to say the grand scheme of necrophilia, but the grand scheme of, like, corpse fetish culture. Yeah. I'm sure it is. There is a fetish culture for everything, Nicole. Just, Yeah. (laughs) It's just, I, I feel like the case of like Tansler and Elena is like the best case scenario for like that sort of thing. Probably. When you think about other things, like when you think about like killers like Egeen and stuff like Ugh. that, and it's like, it yeah. looks like, you know, yeah, it's messed up that he did this and gross. Yeah. And I'm not excusing him, but. But he didn't make skin lampshades and And he didn't kill her. He didn't, he didn't really hurt, hurt her, but it's still like totally wrong. Yeah, it is. But it's anyway. just, please don't do it. Okay. 
very Florida, ma'am. Yeah, this is uh, definitely a story that embodies the heart and soul of Florida. I'm going to have to post a picture of the rocket ship on our on our social media just so you can appreciate what, like the what the fuck factor. That would be perfect. Of that like okay, that was the part in the story where I was like doing research and I'm like, "Wait, what is what the Oh, this is full batshit." Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's Got nuts. It. So, my sources for this story were Wikipedia, keywestchamber.org, tripadvisor.com, the 13 floor.tv, atlas obscura, ozzy.com, allthingsinteresting.com, rare.us, and dailyhistory.org. All right. Well, thank you for that delightful story. Not at all creepy. I will not be having nightmares. Summer loving had me a blast. <laughs> Corpsey loving happened so fast. Met a girl, dead as can be. Oh, God. Anyway, I think I should take a break to get this out of my system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll just keep thinking of new lyrics if not. All right, Roasters, we'll be back in a bit. And we're back. Um, I do have a fun story. Mm-hmm. And it also takes place in Key West. I'm curious to see how much overlap. Because I, I went a little light on my description because I knew that you yeah. might be doing something in Key West. So Yeah, um, we'll see. And we normally have like a different flavor of uh, of intro, I notice. It's true. It's so true. So we'll see what happens. My story for this week, like I said, takes place in Key West, Florida. The Florida Keys are this like Coral Cay archipelago, which means that they are low-lying island chains on the surface of coral reefs. The Florida Keys are absolutely beautiful, as are most tropical locales, in my opinion. Who doesn't love a good island? So... The Keys are located in South Florida off the coast of the main state. Key West is considered to be in Monroe County and has a population of just under 25,000. That's a lot of people for its 4.2 square miles. There's a lot to do for fun here in Key West, or any of the Keys for that matter, which are all considered part of the city of Key West, as well as part of the Everglades. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That makes sense, though. There's, of course, a lot of beach to explore as this is an island. Snorkeling is a huge pastime here, as well as water skiing and sailing. You can go on a reef tour in a glass-bottom boat, which is something that I would love to do at some point in my life. Glass-bottom boats are really cool. They are. They're so cool, and I've never been in one. Oh, I got to go on one um, in California out to like the island of Catalina. Oh, nice. Really cool. I bet. Or... If you want to get spooked, you can go to the East Martello Museum and visit the subject of today's terrifying tale, Robert the Doll. Yay! I needed to cover this story, you guys. With every last fiber of my being, I needed to do this one. I've been obsessed with all things Robert since I don't know when. As soon as I first heard about him as a kid, a kid who was already a little creeped out by dolls, it's been my goal to visit Robert. So maybe one day when I make my way back to Florida, I'll be able to do that. So if you guys are unfamiliar with this tale, Robert is a haunted doll who was originally owned by a painter and author from Key West named Robert Eugene Otto. He's this giant doll, the doll, not the man. <laughs> <laughs> he's a real sweetheart. He's yeah, the he's doll. He's a doll. Uh, so he's this giant doll that wears a sailor suit and he just has the creepiest face ever, in my opinion. Sorry, Robert. Please do not murder me in my sleep tonight. 
Uh, we'll get to all that in a minute, though. Yeah, sailor suits are already a little creepy. Exactly. Did your parents ever dress you in one as a child? Not me, but my brother. Your brother, yeah. And it's kind of hilarious because, like, one of you know, like when you're kids and like you, your parents take and you get portraits. Yes. One of the portraits that my parents really loved that they had made into like a larger canvas and framed it and hung it on our on our wall for ages is like probably my brother at like I don't know three or four. And he's wearing like a little like sailor's outfit, but it's like a captain's outfit. Oh, and nice. he's like the jacket like slung over his shoulder. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> it's hilarious. The things that parents do to their children. Mine also made me do photo shoots in um in a stupid sailor outfit as well. So I you know what? I think I'm the only one too that they made do like the first communion photo shoot. Oh really? So it's like me as a child bride, it's very disturbing. I, they finally took it off their wall in like 2003. I was very disappointed in them for having it up for so long. I remember being so mad when my first Holy Communion came along because um, we you know, had first Holy Communion in second grade and the game Mortal Kombat came out and was very popular. <laughs> and yeah, so I really wanted that. And my friend got it for his communion present. I did not get it. I got a Bible and a crucifix. I mean, that's pretty standard. I got a little purse with a Bible crucifix and like a little rosary in it. Oh, nice. Yeah, it didn't match my outfit. (laughs) Anywho, anyhow, (laughs) I wanted to start off by telling you about the family, but really didn't find much because even typing in the name of their house, Artist House, just leads me right back to either Robert the Doll or it takes me to Robert Eugene Otto, the son and owner of this monstrosity. Uh, I mean, beautiful, totally not scream-inducing doll. So I guess we'll skip the intros and move right on to the doll itself. Okay, so Robert the Doll was acquired by Robert Eugene Otto, or Gene, as he is called, by his grandfather, or sometimes grandmother, it depends on who you hear the story from, Okay. Uh, while he or she was in Germany in 1904. I don't know why anyone would buy this doll for their child or grandchild, because he's just... He's something. He's three feet tall, which life-size dolls are always creepy. He's stuffed with straw. His quote-unquote skin is made of cloth. And he supposedly has human hair, which is just disturbing. But I guess that's how they did it in Germany back near the turn of the century. So, Yeah. Um, Did you ever have a life-size doll as a kid? No. Like, no my buddy or anything? No, I didn't have anything like that. Oh, I did. It was taller than me at one point. Oh, no. It was like, and it was like a baby doll, but it was like three feet tall. And uh, at a, after a certain point, like my mom just gave me all of like a lot of my baby clothes to dress this ginormous, like like toddler clothes yeah. to dress this doll in. I didn't like that doll. No, they're creepy. My grandmother had one in her attic, some sort of like life-size doll that its eyes would open and close like when you would lay it down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it just, I, I didn't like it. It freaked me out. Mm-mm. Sorry, continue. Yes. Um, I'm sure he looked a little less creepy in the beginning because apparently his facial features were painted on and they've since worn off, which along with the pockmarks on his face make him look extra disturbing now. The doll was produced by the Steiff Company in Germany, and they are the same company that named the teddy bear after Theodore Roosevelt, along with an American toy company, which I wasn't going to try to pronounce and sound like an idiot over it. I've seen the Steiff bears. Yeah. Yeah, like the original ones are really cute. Yeah, those are the original teddy bears. 
Robert immediately became attached to this doll and would play with it all the time. Wait, Robert Eugene. 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 So he, his, his name was Robert too, but he went by Eugene. Yes. Gotcha. Well, we'll get into that confusingness too in a minute. So the story goes that the Otto family was not very kind to their housekeepers and ended up firing a member of their staff. She was either from Haiti or the Bahamas, depending on the source you want to go with, and knew a bit about voodoo and witchcraft. She was obviously unhappy about being let go and decided to get a little payback. Mm-mm-mm. Here's where things diverge a bit and the lore gets weird. We've established that the doll was given to Jean by a family member, but there are a lot of sources saying that the maid gave him this doll, while other sources say that she cursed the doll somehow and it had already been given to him. Who the hell knows? That's just the way Whisper Down the Alley works, especially when it comes to hauntings and cursed objects. Fair enough, fair enough. So either way, boy and doll were completely inseparable. Gene would take the doll everywhere with him and sleep with him in bed at night, which was normal for a kid with a favorite doll, toy, or stuffed animal, I guess. Uh, I had a stuffed bear named Jimmy when I was uh, a child that I was pretty fond of, as well as an owl named Hootie, whom my mom brought home from the hospital with her when she couldn't bring me home since I was three months premature and had to be in an incubator for the next, like, two months or so. Everything seemed normal at first, But his parents and housekeepers would hear Gene talking to this doll, which, again, is normal. But he was having, like, full-on conversations with it that didn't seem like normal playing. And the voice that was responding to him sounded different than his own voice. Yeah. One night, Gene woke up to find Robert sitting at the edge of his bed, just staring at him, which I don't know about you, but if that thing were staring at me while I slept, I'd take it as far away as I could from my house, lock it in a chest, and drop it at the bottom of the freaking ocean. You cannot be too <laughs> careful when it comes to dolls, you guys. Oh, they have arms and legs. It's terrible. It's just creepy. Oh, and of course, this um, inspired the movie Child's Play. I mean, totally makes sense. Between that and like the creepy My Buddy commercials. Oh, yeah. And I watched child's play um after doing my notes the original or the remake the original i never saw the remake but it was funny because i forget what the actress's name is but the one that plays his mom is the mom from seventh heaven oh yeah (laughs) so like nice wholesome seventh heaven and then scary murder doll movie before it like i mean that that works for me it's it's kind of perfect just like Rewatching Leprechaun when you're like, oh, look, that's Jennifer Aniston, you know? <laughs> Very strange. So there were also plenty of times where Gene would wake up screaming in the middle of the night, just screaming bloody murder, and his parents would come into the room seeing their son looking terrified, and some of the furniture would be like upturned and knocked over. This was around the time where a lot of his other toys began to get destroyed and other acts of mayhem would ensue. And when his parents would ask him what happened, he'd point to the doll and say, Robert did it. Oh, that's so unnerving. To make this legend even creepier, and I debated on whether or not to add this because it's kind of suspect, but it's also creepy. Some sources said that Gene did in fact go by Robert up until Robert the doll told him to go by Gene instead because Robert was his name and he didn't want to have any little bitch-ass posers in his crew. Oh my god. (laughs) 
His parents didn't seem to really believe a lot of what was happening because what's a great way for a little kid to get out of trouble when they break something? Blame the life-size creep fest of a doll they have. Agreed. Solid strategy. Exactly. People did report two other weird happenings as well. One being that Robert could be heard giggling around the house and would also move of his own accord. Nope. Big nope. The other was reported by people on the street or neighbors walking by who would see Robert staring out the window at them. What? No. Yeah. No. Not cool. Uh Uh-uh. Not cool. Like, it's one thing when you're like, oh, that's kind of funny to do. It's like. Put something creepy in the yeah. window. Like, for example, my one friend uh, is a big horror buff, and she collects a lot of horror movie paraphernalia. And at one point, she had, like, a life-size leather face. Oh, shit. And, like, she had so much of it that, like, there was a room in her house, and it was it was her attic room where she, like, kept it all. And I guess, like, when she was, like, rearranging stuff, she had forgotten that she had moved the leather face, like, over towards a window. Yeah. So it's this big, like, hulking figure of a man with, like, a knife raised, like, in like the third story window of her house and she lives on a main drag and i guess at one point like she was at home you know whatever and there's a knock at the door and she goes to the door and it's a police officer yeah and he's like ma'am are you all right we noticed that there's somebody uh standing in your oh window. my god and she's like what no it's it's a doll it's a it's a life-size leather face <laughs> like <laughs> explaining that yeah. must have been really fun yeah so it was i had to chuckle at that yeah that's pretty great um, to continue. Yes. According to some sources, Jean had an aunt who decided to take the doll since Jean was pretty scared of it by this point. Uh, she was going to keep it in her attic. Slowly after this, however, she was found dead in her home, apparently from a stroke. Oh, yeah. That's awful. Creepy timing. The weird happenings seemed to stop when Jean and his family moved out to France. Uh, they left the doll behind in a box in the attic. I guess they'd rather be safe than sorry. Uh, plus, by this point, Jean was, like I said, really scared of Robert. So I guess it all worked out that they left him behind. Mm-hmm. Years later, Jean married a woman named Annette Parker. And they moved back into Artist House, where, of course, Robert the doll was still in residence. He inherited the house from his parents when they passed away. So that's how they got back in. Mm-hmm. Uh Some people say that Gene actually had a special room made for Robert that looked like a child's room with a lot of his old furniture and toys. This room was the turret room on the second floor, and it was Gene's childhood bedroom. Interesting. His wife reportedly heard Gene having conversations with Robert from time to time, laughing at his jokes, and was rather put off by the doll in general, finding it creepy and with good reason. There are some other strange rumors like that Gene went back to playing with Robert again. And mind you, he's an adult at this point. Uh, Also that he would carry him everywhere he went again. And that he would even insist that at dinnertime, when they sat down for their meal, Robert had to be served first and referred to Robert as, quote, the man of the house. That's very eccentric. Yes. An even crazier rumor said that Annette went crazy and died in the house, which absolutely isn't true. Okay, that's good. Yeah, um... Gene ended up dying before his wife in 1974 and apparently died in the attic. Some say Robert caused his death. Others say that he was found dead in the attic holding Robert. Annette died two years later, but she had moved out of the house by then and left Robert behind in the attic. As you should. I mean, yes. I did have a source claim that she leased the house 
And a stipulation of said lease was that Robert be the, quote, sole occupant of the attic. Okay. The new tenants who moved in Artist House after this apparently woke up one night to find Robert standing over them with a knife, which is when they decided to donate him to his new home, the East Martella Museum. What? Yes. Like, all of a sudden, everything's fine, and then one night, the creepy-ass doll from the attic is, like, standing over. Oh, no. Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Uh, that might be fake, though. Because in another version, Annette did sell the house, and a woman named Myrtle Ryder purchased the house and leased it instead of Annette. Uh, this source said that the new tenants heard footsteps in the attic constantly and heard giggling and just got the hell out of there. Uh, yeah. After this, Myrtle moved in instead and kept Robert in the house with her. She, as well as others who came to the house, reported Robert moving around on his own and that the stories were completely true. Yet another version has the tenants being a family with a 10-year-old daughter who wanted to play with Robert but quickly stopped when one night she screamed bloody murder because she saw Robert run across the fucking room. What? No. Uh-uh. Yeah. That's... Okay. So it's one thing for it to be like a doll that moves mysteriously, yeah. right? Where it's like you turn your back and it's it moved. That's creepy enough. But when you fucking see that shit running, yeah, that's so terrifying. I know. So terrifying. It's even scarier than videos of owls running. Because <laughs> you don't think they have as long legs They're as they do. Legs. They've got lots of legs, guys. Legs for days. Since his time at the museum, he's had quite a lot of fun, it would seem. When you go to see Robert, you are not allowed to take a picture of him without first asking permission. Apparently, if you don't ask before taking a picture, either the picture doesn't come out, your camera breaks, or something similar to that occurs. Hmm. Electronics also don't work right around Robert most of the time. So, like, your video camera will get fuzzy or, you know, stuff like that. Weird. Uh, He has been seen at the museum moving on his own. He'll move inside his glass container or he'll just move his head or blink. His facial expressions tend to change as well. What? Yeah. He also has a nasty habit of cursing people who are rude to him. So if you go and you don't want to be tortured, please be kind to Robert. There's actually a bunch of apology letters around Robert's case that were written to him by people who were cursed by him begging him for forgiveness. Like what would the curse entail? Just extreme bad luck, violence. I don't know. Oh, my God. Probably similar to Annabelle. Annabelle causes car crashes. Ugh. Staff have also seen a lot of things go on with Robert, from him moving around and such, to him doing another one of his favorite activities, turning the lights back on after they've been turned off. Hmm. When the staff go to close up at night and lock everything down and turn off lights, they'll come in the next morning to find the lights on. This happened so much with staff getting in trouble for it or getting fired that they ended up making sure to have multiple people there to close and verify that the lights were, in fact, turned off before they left. So he's still causing trouble for people? Oh, yeah. There have also been people who have worked there who said they went in not believing in Robert or the supernatural at all, but didn't last very long actually working there because of Robert and left as believers. Wow. In the end, whether you think Robert is, in fact, as he is called, the most haunted doll in America, or that it's all an elaborate sham, or maybe the delusions of a very eccentric artist, one thing is for sure, the tale of Robert the doll is definitely a creepy one. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm curious to see, like, Gene Otto's work. Yeah, I have never looked at his paintings or his writing or anything. I wonder if, like, Robert 
is like featured, not featured. Oh, I'm sure he is. As for my own thoughts on the subject of whether or not he's haunted, I believe that the doll is probably haunted. I also think that a lot of the lore and stories connected to the doll are probably fake or at least very heavily exaggerated. My other theory is that maybe the doll was not haunted to begin with, but the years of belief in a supposed curse has brought such a thing into existence. When we think about something over and over again, we give it power and energy, and things can manifest from that. It goes hand in hand with a lot of modern self-help books out there talking about the power of positive thinking. The opposite is also true, and putting your fear and energy into a story can very much cause bad things to happen. So what are your thoughts on our creepy friend, Robert? Uh, well, Robert's creepy for sure. I, I just find it's it's very much what I would expect when someone's like haunted doll and here's how it got haunted. It's yeah. this little boy. I'm actually surprised there isn't more like mayhem almost. Yeah. I, I do think that the idea of the reaction of an object to the psychic forces you can imbue in it the sentimental like your fixation on it could have an impact and it almost makes me wonder like if anything tragic or you know painful happened to gene as a kid like was he sick or did he have trouble making friends was he lonely that sort of thing i feel like that would make a lot of sense with why robert's just so malevolent yeah and i think that's the creepy part too is that he has this malevolence of being like the dominant one in the relationship. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah. My sources for this week were Wikipedia, verygoodcopy.com, atlasobscura.com, ghostsandgravestones.com, a few different two minute videos on YouTube and haunted dolls by Roger P. Mills. And also artist, um, artisthousekeywest.com. And, oh, I forgot to put the other one in, but the um, the East Martello Museum's webpage as well. Cool. guess that's it for our show today. Well, if you like what you heard today, gang, you can shoot us a quick email. You can find us at roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com. You could also visit our website at roadsidehorrorshow.podbean.com. We are also on social media. Surprise. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram at Roadside Horror Show, or on Twitter at Roadside Horror. We'd also like to thank Yoxwax Designs and Emassi for our logo and our intro and outro music, respectively. Uh, until next week, Roadsters. Creep, creep on, on, creeping on. on.